A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. The Keeping the Nostalgia Live show is sponsored by The Dunk Collection. The Dunk Collection connects sports-minded individuals to basketball-inspired home products meticulously designed to help combat life's most mundane chores. Dirty clothes on the floor? Put a dirty dunk on the door. The Dirty Dunk is the original over-the-door basketball hoop laundry hamper designed to make laundry a slam dunk. Do you have a messy office? Try a document dunk. The original trash can basketball stand designed for those who compete in the corporate arena. You're just one shot away from turning your cubicle into the corner office you deserve. Bath time blues? Make bath time fun with the Scrub-A-Dunk, the original basketball hoop for baby ballers. Attach to the tub and Scrub-A-Dub-Dub. The Dunk Collection, making boring chores a slam dunk. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You can go to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com and you can check out, I think we're I think we're getting close to our 150th interview of, oh, just legends of the game who played it, coached it, officiated it, or just contributed to this great game of basketball that's from the state of Indiana. So keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. You can also check out all of our Facebook pages, too. Um, I have really have a passion for the game. You can check out on Facebook, Indiana Basketball Memories, Hoosier Hysteria, Hoosier, and we have a fabulous group also with about 4,000 members called Indiana High School Basketball Fans, which kind of <coughs> keeps the nostalgia alive and also uh, updates you on what's going on in Indiana High School Basketball today. With that all being said, today, uh, it's not like any other interview we have. It's like every other interview we have. We have a legend with us, an, an Indiana All-Star, uh, an Indiana High School Basketball State Champion with the Washington Continentals in 1965, uh, a member of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, and also uh, a part of the Purdue, uh, Purdue radio broadcast for the home games for the Purdue Boilermakers, Ralph Taylor. Mr. Taylor, thank you so much for spending some time and taking some time out of your schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and talk about your memories of uh, this great game of basketball. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, it, it, can I call you Ralph, or should I call you Mr. Taylor? You know, Coach Smith at Broderpool oh, well, taught me respect. Not, so, let's not, let, let, not be formal. You can call me Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ralph, let us. Where were you born, and where were you raised in Indianapolis, and what was your first introduction to the game? Who introduced you to this game of basketball? Well, I was born in Indianapolis on the uh, west side, in the area where the IUPUI. Uh, campus is now located we're on the our neighborhood was south of new york street and military park was our playground and my first introduction to basketball came from my uh, cousin who uh lived on the same street and he asked one day would i like to go to a, a basketball game and i said sure not knowing what to expect and uh he was a student at christmas addict high school so I was, uh, let's see, I was about eight years old, and he took me to see the great Christmas Addicts Tigers with uh, Oscar Robertson, Willie Merriweather, Bill Hampton, Bill Scott, and those guys played Hinkle Fieldhouse. That was my first introduction, and it was an introduction that really had a lasting impact on me. So, so did you guys have a uh, uh, like a court on the on the block? Did someone have a a hoop hanging up on the garage? How how did that work when you were little? 
Well, when I was little, uh, we were close to uh, Military Park, which is now called White River State Park, but we still call it Military Park. <clears throat> and they had a uh, outdoor basketball court that was a true dust bowl because it was not uh, an asphalt court. It was just a dirt court with grass. And by the time we get through playing after two or three weeks, all the grass was gone. So it was just literally playing on top of dust. So that was where we played. And uh, it was a good experience because it taught you how to dribble on an uneven surface. And, and what was your – did you did you watch the big O play? And were you thinking, uh, you know, I, I really, I really want to play this game? And, and, and what – you know, tell us about the atmosphere of that game that you went to and watched the big O. Well, they were playing uh, Tech, and it was a sellout crowd. And I thought, man, these guys are really good. I like the uh, green and gold uniforms. I like the cheerleaders and the uh, their famous crazy song that they were singing. And also like the way uh, Oscar shot his fadeaway jump shot. So that's something I tried to uh, adapt after I got a little bit older and could shoot. Because, you know, first of all, Billy, my first love was uh, baseball. And I used to listen to all the Brooklyn Dodger games whenever I could, whenever they were playing in Chicago or Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or St. Louis, I could pick up uh, their games on the AM stations when they were on the road playing those games. So I really liked baseball first and then basketball second. So my uh, transition to basketball is a little bit slow. I uh, played on our uh, grade school team. I was in sixth grade and for that entire uh, sixth grade year I scored a total of four points and uh, both my baskets came on the uh, wrong baskets because I was just totally out of my element didn't know what the heck I was doing and and, and so you know there was no AAU back then so uh, was your first organized organized basketball in, in uh, grade school yes it was uh, we had a outstanding coach uh, Mr. Clifford Robinson and uh, you know after the sixth grade my skills got a little bit better with his tutelage and you know before Mr. Robinson came to school five in the sixth grade in the fifth grade I didn't get to play but our uh, basketball coach at school five was the legendary jumping Johnny Wilson who was uh, Mr. Basketball from uh, Anderson High School played with the Harlem Globetrotters so he was a coach at school five for one year and I did not get to play under him because after my fifth grade year and this first year at school five he became the first African-American basketball coach in Indianapolis at a non-segregated school, and that was Harry Wood High School, and Mr. Robinson replaced him. So that is kind of the coaching transition I went through. You know, it's interesting. I try to have, uh, and it, 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 I don't plan it, but it works out that way, but there's almost like six degrees of separation. Um, of course, Jumpin' Johnny Wilson was my basketball coach's coach while he was at Wood, uh, Bill Smith, who went well, on to coach you? at Broderpool. You're kidding. No, yeah. Wow. And, you know, I had him in gym class, and he would teach us his uh, Harlem Globetrotter trick shots, and to this day I can still do a few of those. <laughs> and and I, th- I think he's what, 86, 87, and, and, and still uh, uh, still out there, isn't he? Oh, still out there. Uh, he recently moved to, uh, I believe, either Tennessee or Atlanta, Georgia. And he still comes back to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame golf alley. Still looks great. Still has a good golf game. So were you in the area where you were supposed to go to Washington High School, or were you supposed to go to a different high school? Well, I was in the area at the time where IPS said, if you 
wanted to go to a different high school, you could if you had three things in your favor. One, the other school you wanted to go to was in closer walking distance. Secondly, the other school's book rental was cheaper. And third, if you had a relative attending the other high school you wanted to go to. So I had everything in my favor. Uh, Christmas Attics was closer walking distance. Uh, the book rental was cheaper. And my uh, cousin was also enrolled at Christmas Attic High School. So, so how do you get to Washington High School? Well, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that I was under the impression that I thought I lived on the wrong side of New York Street, and I wound up going to Washington High School. I, I'll just say that to uh, <clears throat> leave things alone. Because <laughs> I thought if you lived on the <clears throat> south side of New York Street, and you had to go to Washington, the north side of New York Street, you had to go, you could go to Christmas Attic. But it was interesting because some of my classmates who lived on the, Grace school classmates who lived on the south side of New York Street wound up at Christmas Attic. So I'm not sure. How, uh, yeah, I'll leave that alone. Okay, okay. so, so with, with, the, with the great tradition that Attic uh, was having or was going through, I know they were having some down years probably before you got into high school because of uh, everybody, uh, you know, all, all of those teams moving on. Uh, were you kind of were you, were you kind of scared or in going to Washington High School, did you know what you were getting into and what kind of basketball tradition did they have before you got there? Well, the basketball tradition of Washington I really wasn't familiar with at all, but there were uh, several individuals from our neighborhood in grade school who went to Washington and started on their basketball team. Uh, that was uh, early Stennis, and then uh, Eddie Cannon-Williams, the late Eddie Cannon-Williams, who was an uh, alternate on the 1959 Indiana All-Star team. So, uh, but, you know, everybody that I liked went to Attics in terms of the guys I looked up to, but also looked up to two guys from the neighborhood that went to Washington. And also uh, there was uh, the late Louis Craig, who was a class of uh, 62 at Washington. He went to, he also went to school five. So there were several pretty good ball players from school five who went to Washington, but I was just always following Attics. And, you know, uh, when I went to Washington as a freshman in 1961, uh, Attics was still very competitive, but you could begin to see changes beginning to happen because uh, you had the Van Arsdale Twins at Manuel. Uh, they they became a dominant force. Shortridge was still a powerhouse. So Washington was kind of like it was there, but it wasn't quite the power. It wasn't the powerhouse that Tech, Attic, Shortridge, and even Cathedral were because Cathedral at that time had very talented teams uh, with Walt Som and Gary Donna. And now, before you got to Washington High School, were you as big as you were going? Were you as tall as you were going to get? And from everybody that I talked to, you could jump out of the gym. So, what was your what was your uh, what was your uh, physical status when you when you got to Washington? Well, when I got to Washington, I was about six foot and a half, and I grew uh, up to six two. Um, so when I when I got to Washington. Uh, I met this uh, little short guy, and his name was Billy Keller. And I had never met Billy. He had never met me. And uh, our freshman tryout, we had over 100 kids try out for freshman basketball in the old Washington High School gym. And uh, Billy and I, we both made the team. We started along with uh, Eddie Bopp. And uh, that freshman year, 
it was really strange because we played Attic in the in the freshman city tournament and we beat them, but it was such a strange feeling uh, going up against a school that I just knew. Uh, growing up as a kid, that's where I would wind up going to high school and playing on state championship team like my other heroes from Attics had done. So playing them in the city tournament was such a strange feeling, but we beat them and uh, we won the uh, freshman basketball city championship. So that was kind of the beginning of what I did not know was eventually going to start what became the Washington High School basketball dynasty and also uh, Washington became really powerful in football. So it's kind of like uh, the 62-63 season kind of began the rebirth of the basketball uh, uh, renaissance at Washington High School. And uh, our freshman year, the varsity team had one of the best years in history. Uh, they got beat in the sectional at Southport, but that was kind of that 61-62 varsity team kind of paved the way what was gonna what was getting ready to follow. Now, you, you mentioned football. Was uh, uh, Coach Springer there at that time, or was it somebody else with football? Well, Joe Tofu was the head football coach my freshman year at Washington. And then uh, after his resignation, Bob Springer, I mean. then Bob Springer came yeah. on board. And, and what was the, was the coaching staff? Uh, I mean, who was your freshman basketball coach? Freshman coach was the late Russell McConnell. Really uh, good coach. And uh, he, uh, you know, we... We were kind of a very unique team. I still remember we were down in the city uh, tournament as freshmen. We were down 19-4 to at the end of the first half, and uh, we wound up winning like 24-25 uh, to 25 or something like that. And but, uh, Russell, he was, Russell McConnell was really a good coach. And who was the uh, was it the same uh, um, uh, you know JV and varsity coach that you would uh, continue on with uh, for the rest of your years there or had Oliver well, not they, arrived? Well, no, Oliver had arrived about three years prior, and that turned things around in basketball. He had replaced the late Dave Hine. So the uh, junior varsity coach was Richard Harmony, who later became head basketball coach at Franklin High School, and of course Jerry Oliver was the varsity coach. But uh, Billy and I, Billy Keller and I, we both played on the JV team toward the, after our freshman season ended, uh, we got moved up to the junior varsity team. So we, we experienced uh, junior varsity for several games. And before you get to the varsity, before we talk about that, what, what was basketball like in the city at that time? Well, the city was still going strong. I mean, we were, I mean, city teams were killing the uh, township schools. Uh, they, if they, if they beat a city school, it was generally considered a major upset. Uh, with exception, of course, of, uh, Southport. Southport was, uh, very competitive. So that was probably the toughest township school, uh, in Marion County. But the city was really strong. You had, again, Tech, Shortridge, Cathedral, uh, Christmas Attic. Those were really still some of the top teams in the city. And you also had a growing power with uh, Harry Wood High School under uh, Coach uh, Johnny Wilson. So, so in the off season between your freshman and sophomore year, where you know today kids do weights, they they're playing basketball all the time. Uh, what was it like back in your day? Well, in our day, it was simply uh, since there was no AU ball, any organized summer basketball. Uh, we played a lot in the park, again, at Military Park and 
Sometimes we'd go over to uh, Blackfield Gardens, but primarily it was military park where we would have a lot of great games because, again, that dividing line, New York Street, the north side of New York Street, <coughs> a lot of the players who went to our rival grade school, which was Mary Cable School 4, were going to Christmas Attics, so we would get a lot of the attic uh, players come over to Military Park. So we really had some uh, good games at Military Park during the summer, and uh, I think that really helped myself and others uh, from the area uh, begin to develop skills necessary to compete on a higher level once we became uh, members of the varsity basketball team. So you won a city championship every year you were there at Washington, didn't you? Yes, and that was something that had never been done, even by the great Christmas Addicts teams with Oscar Robertson, who won two straight uh, city titles, but we became the first uh, Indianapolis school to win three straight city championships. Our, our, uh, and if you count our freshman year, we right. won four, four city championships. So, yeah, that was a, a great honor for us, and uh, we're very proud of that accomplishment. And and when did you think, or did you ever think that you know uh, you're going into your sophomore year, you guys become city champions? When did you think that you guys had really something special going on? Well, you know, to be honest, I guess uh, I didn't really know what to expect because as a sophomore, I was uh, promoted to the varsity, and the varsity had only I think like two returning lettermen. Uh, Clark Dickerson and Clovis Stinson. Uh, so it was really kind of hard to expect anything because, again, the varsity team the year before had such a great season. They were like 21 and 3, and they lost, you know, all their key starters. So uh, coming in my sophomore year, I really didn't know what to expect. But, uh, you know, we wound up uh, winning, uh, I think we were like 19 and 4, and those were the most losses in one season that, that uh, Billy and I experienced playing at Washington. But I think uh, City Tournament rolled around. You know, things fell fell in the right places, and we won. And, you know, we were all very late. And going into the uh, Southport uh, sectionals, uh, we thought we'd have a pretty good chance maybe to do something special, and that did not happen. Now, during the summertime and during breaks and stuff like that, would you hang out with your teammates, or was it that close-knit? Uh, no, because of the uh, widespread uh, geography where a lot of us lived, uh, because I lived, again, where the IUPUI campus is. Uh, Billy Keller lived close to the Speedway. Uh, Eddie Bopp lived within about two blocks of Washington High School. Uh, others lived in West Indianapolis. So we're all kind of spread out. I know uh, Billy went a lot over to Metalwood. Uh, I still continue to play Military Park. So we really didn't come together to play in the summer. We just kind of played in our own areas. And come uh, school year, uh, we were back to playing together again. So we really had no organized play during the summer with each other. Can you let everybody know, you know, we are going to lead up to the state championship, but what, what was the atmosphere like at the Washington gym and how many people did it hold at that time? Well, the Washington gym probably would have held about 2000 and uh, you know the interesting thing about Washington High School it opened the same year as Christmas Attics so both schools were given gyms that uh, or gyms were kind of like an afterthought to begin with because originally 
the gyms in both schools was the stage in in the auditorium. But the gym that they eventually built held around two thousand. Uh, all of our games, our um, sophomore year, uh, we began to pick up steam. By the end of our sophomore year, it was like sellout crowds. Junior year, all of our home games were sellout. Senior year, all of our home games were sellout. And a lot of times we wound up playing home games at uh, Indiana Central or Hinkle Fieldhouse. But our uh, fan base was outstanding. Anytime we went on the road, regardless of where we traveled to, uh, we had a real large fan base. And I think also, especially I know by the end of my senior year, people would comment that never went to Washington High School, that they would just go to our games because we were so much fun to watch. And I think uh, we kind of galvanized the city with our play. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we just had a, a tremendous following, especially with our student body. They were great. The faculty was great. The faculty would attend all of our games. And it was just a great love affair between our uh, fans and our players. And did you continue? I know you said at the beginning you had the love for baseball. Did you play baseball at Washington also for all four years? No, I wound up playing uh, softball in uh, grade school. And then when I got to Washington, uh, I ran uh, track my uh, time at Washington High School. That that was the other sport that I took part in. But in the fall, I uh, ran cross-country at least. I participated on the cross-country team because at that time, Coach Oliver dictated that you had to be involved in a uh, fall sport as well as a spring sport, which is really a, a change from today where coaches expect their kids only to uh, participate in their dominant sport and not participate in other sports, which for a lot of kids, it's a rarity that they take part in more than one sport. You know, besides playing at Indiana Central and Hinkle Fieldhouse, what were some of your your some of your favorite places to play when you guys would travel, and what were some of your not so favorite places uh, to play? Well, the best place of all to play is Hinkle Fieldhouse because that always I always thought it added about five inches to your vertical jump. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was that was a great floor. That that was outstanding. Uh, another favorite place was uh, uh, Southport. Uh, that was a good place to play, along with uh, Tech High School. That was a favorite. Uh, not a favorite place was Cathedral because when they were when the high school was on North and Reading Street, they had this little band box gym, which was not that great to play in. Uh, so I didn't like that one. Uh, South Bend Central had a really nice gym, as well as uh, Columbus. When we went to play the Columbus Bulldogs my senior year, they had a really outstanding gym. But the best gym I ever played in without a doubt with Hinklefield or Butler Field House at the time. You know, it's funny. Um, um, I wasn't a great basketball player, but for all the uh, – because we were in the Hinkle sectional while I was at Broderpool, I tell you, uh, you're correct on that vertical. It took my vertical from two inches to three inches, so I, I do love that floor. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the beginning of your senior year, do you, did you have any idea? I mean, did you, was there talk of it? Did you have any idea of what you guys were going to accomplish? Well, let me back up to our junior year because okay. in the sophomore year, we go 19-4 win state championship, and we get disappointed at Southport sectional. We get beat in the championship game 72-70 on the last second, probably a 22-foot jump shot by the great Louis Dampier, who later played at uh, University of Kentucky, then the ABA. So he beats on the last second jump shot. So on the way home, the sun comes on the radio, I'm taking it with me, and it says, our day will come. 
And I'm thinking, yeah, it didn't come. So junior, <laughs> we have about uh, six, six or seven lettermen on the team. And we're loaded. Again, we don't have anybody over, well, we didn't have anybody over six, four. We had one guy six, four. Everybody else was under six, three. So we, but we have six or seven lettermen and we're just loaded and we're just rolling along and going in, and we win the city championship again. And our expectations are we're going to win state. So at the end of the year on a good, good roll, and then toward the end of the season, one of our, our six men has an appendectomy. Uh, another player has, uh, we wound up with two other injuries. And then, uh, we're playing, uh, Wood, Harry Wood High School, uh, in the, uh, sectional semifinal at Southport. I go up for a rebound. I land, I throw the ball to Billy Keller. And I get ready to run down the court, and I can't move. And I didn't know what had happened because that had never happened before. Had to be escorted off the floor. Uh, we we beat Wood by 20-plus points. And I'm thinking, boy, this can't happen. And that evening, we're playing Howe High School in the sectional final. Uh, the team doctor examines me, says, you can't play. I don't get to play. Uh, we're playing uh, Howe High School in the championship game, team we had beat by close to 20 points earlier at the beginning of the season. Uh, we get beat by Howe High School, and I'll never forget sitting on the bench, not able to play. And I remember their uh, cheering section released the balloons in the air, and they're celebrating. And once again, we get to the championship game, we get beat. And, I was, and that was such a empty feeling for me because without a doubt I knew this was the best team I played with and uh, we were just, just destroying everybody and many times we would not play uh, after the third quarter because we'd be so far ahead and losing like that uh, just really I, I just that, that took a long time to overcome and I wound up having to have knee surgery for a torn cartilage and uh, that ended that was the end of my uh, junior year so we lost uh several key starters and a lot of lettermen so coming into my uh senior year there were only two lettermen coming back myself and billy keller and i was coming back from knee surgery not knowing how i would do dr brady was a team doctor and he performed this uh, radical uh, knee surgery because in those days billy when you had knee surgery they immediately uh put a cast around your hole up around your leg from ankle up to above the knee. And he said, well, laddie, and he was Irish. He said, I'm going to do something radical. I'm not going to put a cast in your knee. I'm just after surgery. I'll just wrap it up with gauze or ace bandage. And I said, well, what do I do to strengthen my knee? He said, well, just take uh, two one quart paint cans, tie that around your ankle and just lift it every day. And then once you get strong enough, run around, just do some running. So my rehab was lifting uh, two one-quart paint cans on my right knee. <laughs> and once I got strong enough, it was to go to military park and run around the park every day. Well, that was, uh, needless to say, not something you recommend in this day and age for rehab. <laughs> so uh, going into our senior year, we really didn't have – we were not sure what to expect. We were not 
you know, considered one of the top teams in the state because we're such an un- unknown quality. But we had uh, several new guys fit into the lineup, Eddie Bopp, Marv Winkler, and uh, Mark Glasson, who would alternate in the other spot with uh, Bill Rogers. Um, so we get off to a pretty decent start. My start was kind of slow because, unknowns to me, I was still recovering from knee surgery, so I wasn't quite at full strength. But around uh, December, January, I got to full strength, and we started dominating the city again. Again, we win the city championship for the third straight year. And we're thinking, well, maybe we could do something after all, even though we lost our best players from the previous year. So we get on roll, we win the city, and we're just picking up steam, and we head into the sectionals, and we aren't expecting too much other than we hope we do a lot better than what we've done the previous two years. So we, uh, and during the regular season, we were defeated twice. We were defeated by uh, Ben Davis at uh, Indiana Central, and we're also defeated by Manuel at Indiana Central, and we lost both those games by a total of five points. So going to the sectional, uh, we meet up with uh, Manuel in the championship game. That year, the uh, sections were delayed because of a major snowstorm, so instead of playing championship game on Saturday, we wound up playing the championship game on a Monday evening. And the first game, uh, first time we had ran into Manuel, uh, Mike Hargraves, our 6'5 center, he kind of dominated me. He had about uh, 20, 20 points, and I had maybe 18. And second game, I kind of got revenge. I scored close to 30 points, got about 18 rebounds. So we beat Manuel to win the first uh, sectional championship in Washington at Washington High School since the late 1940s. So there began a roll, and we, in the uh, regionals, we are on a roll. We meet uh, Ben Davis in the afternoon game of, of the regional, and at Hinkle, sometimes you could hear other guys in the other locker room, and Ben Davis players are joking and laughing, and we're sitting in the our locker room just listening to them talk trash. So we go out and proceed to kick their butt, and uh, so we win the regional, win the semi-state, we get to the state, and uh, Gary Roosevelt was the favorite to win the state that year. Well, Gary Roosevelt gets upset by Princeton, and I was looking forward to playing against Gary Roosevelt because I figured it'd be uh, they play a man-to-man defense. And in our uh, state tournament run, I start running into a lot of different defenses that were designed kind of to neutralize me, and but that freed up other opportunities for Billy Keller and Mara Winkler. But Gary Roosevelt gets upset by Princeton High School in the uh, state championship uh, semifinal game, and we beat a very tough uh, Princeton team. Uh, and so we wound up meeting Fort Wayne North in championship game, and we went on to defeat them. And Fort Wayne North, starting front line, their center was 6'8", Wars were 6'5", 6'4", guards were 6'3", 6'2". Our uh, starting lineup, our uh, front was me at 6'2". Our other forward, Mara Winkler, was six foot. Bill Rogers uh, was 6'3". And, of course, Billy and uh, Eddie Bopp in the backcourt were 5'11", 5'10", respectively. So we looked like midgets, but we always looked like midgets when we played other teams. But we were so well coached, so fundamentally sound. That never entered into the equation, I think, in uh, three years of playing varsity basketball. 
even though we were a short team all three years, we were never out-rebounded. And we defeated a four-way North championship game. We had to use our fame press, which Coach Oliver copied from uh, Coach Johnny Wooden at UCLA. And our uh, throughout our high school uh, career, anytime we got behind, we'd throw the uh, full-court press on teams, and that would always get us back in the game and help us to victory. Uh, so it was a great, great ending. And uh, I was going to say one other thing. On the way back home, on the way back to the gym at the championship game, the song that I had heard my sophomore year, Our Day Will Come, that song was playing on the bus ride back to Washington High School. Wow. You know, speaking of, of, of you saying you guys were well coached, can you tell us a little bit about Jerry Oliver and what he was like as a coach and, and also as a, a person? Well, Jerry as a coach was very demanding, had a very high bar for all the players. Uh, you followed what he wanted you to do. If not, you could find a seat next to him. And he just <clears throat> really taught the game the right way. He taught, you know, uh, since we were always a very short team, he always made sure that we fully understood the fundamentals of rebounding, which was putting the man on your body, blocking out, going up for the ball with two hands. Uh, he taught us the importance of passing. I'll never forget, uh, he just said we would always dribble too much why don't we try passing the ball so uh, a couple times we tried didn't work we still want to dribble so next day in practice we get the fastball but it doesn't have any air to air in the ball and you couldn't bounce it I mean yeah you, you it had air but you couldn't bounce it that makes sense so he taught us that you know the pass will get there faster than your dribble so he he was very strict with his fundamentals, but he was a very fair-minded individual, uh, excellent teacher of the game. As a person, he was just really a great person, very personable, well-liked. And, you know, to this day when we see him, it's still uh, Coach Oliver, and I have the utmost respect for him. Ralph, I know it's not I know it's not a great subject, but uh, this is how we learn to become better. But what was, what was especially during your state championship run, what were – what were race relations like within the game of Indiana high school basketball and within Indianapolis? And, and, and you can go for your whole four years there in Indianapolis if you'd like. Well, I'll start with, uh, that's, that's always an interesting question because I think we were the first, I think Eddie Bopp said it best, but we were the first integrated team in the city to win a state championship. And I think <clears throat> Now, now the area around Washington, you had, I remember going there as a freshman, they would say that uh, certain neighborhoods, uh, unless you were white, you should not be in those neighborhoods. That was uh, the Valley, Stringtown. Those were there they said you should stay out of if you were not white. Well, our football team, when I played the freshman football team, we practiced in the Valley, and we would walk to the Valley and walk back to the school, and there were no problems there. But I think what happened uh, on our on our teams, we had individuals from some of the, some of the white areas that you were not supposed to go into, and then we had kids from the school five area, which uh, was an integrated area, and we had kids from West Indianapolis, which was it was kind of integrated area. So the racial taboos did not impact our basketball team because we all came from those different areas. And I think uh, when you play in sports, it kind of transcends, transcends whatever racial attitudes you might have. So the issue of race or any negative language or what have you did not occur within our basketball team 
or towards our basketball team. So we never ran into uh, any problems uh, on the court or off the court. Now, in terms of what happened with some of the other city schools, I'm not sure of, but I can, you know, actually say that in the four years playing at Washington High School, there were never any incidents directed towards me or any of the other uh, African-American basketball players by any of the Washington High School fans or even when we went on the road to play in games. And I think uh, that, I think, speaks volumes, especially in, the, in Indiana at that time, about uh, the respect we had from uh, fans from all backgrounds. Now, I must say, later on, I heard from some of my uh, classmates at Washington High School, African-American classmates at Washington High School, that the uh, treatment they got from some of the faculty at Washington High School was not uh, was not well received by them, especially with uh, teachers telling them what they were not going to do or couldn't do simply because they were black students and they didn't have the smarts to uh, go to college or anything else. Basically, they were setting a bar low for them. You just you should just go find a menial job, working in a factory, or whatever, because you aren't college material. And a lot of those students they told that to went on to become college graduates. One of my good friends, uh, Delinda Brown, graduated from IU, is a uh, college professor in uh, South Carolina. So a lot of my classmates who were not athletes but told they wouldn't be able to do anything because of their color by some of the white faculty, uh, they became outstanding individuals uh, professionally and, and work-wise. Uh, one of the things that did happen in the, in the early 60s was the changing of the school boundaries. I think the uh, success, and this is well documented, the success of Christmas Addicts High School fed up racial integration at a lot of the uh, city uh, high schools. Uh, and I think without the success of uh, Christmas Addicts, schools would have been more segregated in Indianapolis. But again, we did not have the problems that... Uh, that were later to follow in the city with uh, busting and some of the incidents that took place. Now, and I can also, and I'll, I'll let me also point out that uh, to show you how things work uh, during the state tournament run, uh, myself and two of the other, uh, actually three of the other black basketball players on the team, Mar Winkler, Bill Rogers, and the late great Larry Highball, uh, we were. Uh, uh, how would I put it? We were uh, assigned to stay with one of our assistant volunteer coaches, Howard Leedy, in a white neighborhood, and we never had any problems during the state tournament run. Uh, the ladies welcomed us into their home, and the reason for that was they wanted to make sure that we uh, got to uh, the school on time for the uh, start state tournament run. Mm. Now, during during your senior, I mean, I know recruiting's a lot different. But when uh, do you remember your first letter, or who who wanted you to come and play basketball for, b- basketball for them in college, or were both you and Billy on the same level with that? Got the same uh, attention, and and if you wouldn't have worn a Purdue Boilermaker jersey, what would jersey would you have worn possibly? Uh, that's a good question. I well, first with uh, in terms of what. Uh, letters Billy was or see I'm not sure it's something we never talked about but I know that a lot of the letters that I got uh, were from uh, southern universities and of course recruiting at that time was like word of mouth they really didn't see who you were so I remember my guidance counselor telling me that I had gotten a lot of letters from southern universities that she did not give me because she knew since they were segregated it would not 
it would not have uh, materialized that would have gone to any of those schools because of the segregation uh but a couple of the uh couple of schools i remember getting letters from were university of louisville uh i remember getting a letter from uh guy lewis who was coach at houston uh, of course, uh, Bob King, who recruited both Billy and I to come to Purdue. Uh, Dwayne Clee, who was coach at Indiana State, sent us letters. We also had recruiting visits to IU. But, uh, again, with the racial climate in the United States at the time, a lot of letters that I got were from the South, and there was been no way that I was, well, I wouldn't have been accepted going to the South. So I think had I not gone to Purdue, I probably – would have gone to uh, either Indiana State and possibly Butler. Guy Lewis was a very smart recruiter back then. A lot of people don't give him a lot of credit. He was uh, he, he'd go to those cold places and fly people down to Houston and show them how warm it was, and that's how he got a lot of his players. Yeah, that would make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a one guy who was a Washington hatchet down in southern Indiana, and he came to Indiana when it was a, a blizzard and uh, took him down to Houston. And I think uh, Gary, Gr- uh, uh, um, I can't remember his last name, but he said once he got down to Houston, it was 70 degrees during the winter time. He said, "I'm going to the U of H." <laughs> Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us about your relationship with Billy Keller. Are, are you, I mean, did you guys become pretty close friends right from the get go? Yeah, right from the get-go. I mean, our freshman year, we bonded right away. And, I mean, all four through, all four years through high school, we were uh, just very close uh, on the basketball court. We just kind of automatically knew what the other guy was going to do. And we could, it was almost like we were reading each other's minds. And uh, off the court, uh, we, uh, we were good friends. And our friendship has lasted uh, since we first met as freshman at Washington High School in the fall of 1961. And to this day, we still keep in touch. I consider him like a brother, and he considers me like his brother. And we just have always been very, very close. And he's one of the best human beings I think uh, anybody could ever meet. So did both you guys kind of chat, talk about it, and ponder before you guys both signed with Purdue? Uh, I think we kind of briefly mentioned that we both, like uh, Coach Bob King, so we're going to go there. And I, so I think when Billy said he was going, I thought, well, I need to follow my partner. So I think I, I should go to Purdue as well because Bob King was such an honest, upfront individual. And uh, he talked about the family atmosphere at Purdue and uh, going to Purdue was a wise decision on my part. Uh, a lot of times you make decisions and you don't fully understand the impact until later on in life. And I truthfully say, after Four years at Purdue, getting my degree in four years, playing on the basketball team. Uh, the doors that had opened for me professionally uh, have just been been an amazing part of my life. I mean, broadcasting uh, Purdue men's basketball game, uh, had I not attended Purdue and made the connections I made, uh, what I'm doing now would not have occurred. And actually, the uh, late Roger Blaylock, who was associate athletic director at Purdue, and was my teammate for uh, two years at Purdue. That connection uh, helped lead me to uh, becoming a member of the Purdue Athletic Advisory Council. It helped lead me to getting a job with the Purdue University Cooperative Extension Service here in Indianapolis. So sometimes you just never know what, what fate will lead you to down the road. 
when you were at Washington and you guys won the state championship, you're there in Hinkle Fieldhouse. Well, now it's called Hinkle Fieldhouse. You're at Butler Fieldhouse. Um, did it go by so fast, or do you remember kind of taking a deep breath and taking it in, and what were your memories when you guys had won that state title? Well, my memory was the fact that uh, I think when I was maybe nine or ten years old, I had had this dream of winning the state championship at Hinkle Fieldhouse because I'd always watch the state finals with uh, – Tony Hinkle and Herb Schwarmeyer broadcasting. So as a kid, I, I always would dream about winning the state championship and what it was going to be like. So when we actually won, it was kind of like a surreal reality that I had, we had just achieved something that I had always dreamed about, except it was the wrong team because I thought it was going to be with Attic. But being in Washington, that was good. So it was kind of like, you know, my dream came true. And I'll never forget the night to see such jubilation and excitement with our fans and the players. And it was just such a wonderful feeling. I can remember uh, it was really cold that night. We'd had a lot of snow. So we're getting, we did not get to ride around Monument Circle. And the game ends. And we don't get back to the school until around 10, uh, about 10.15 that evening. And outside, standing in the cold, were more than 3,000 fans waiting on us to uh, come back. And we get into the, they open up the school. We go into the gym with 3,000 plus fans. It was just, uh, just a fantastic, uh, love fest. And we were just, I mean, it, it was something I'll never forget. And, uh, it, it's something everybody, well, not everybody, but when you have the opportunity to experience something like that, it's something you'll, you'll never forget. And, uh, it was just such a magic moment for Washington High School and for, for the players there. And, no, the other thing I'm proud of is the fact that I went to Oscar C. McCullough School 5. They say that down the road, there's uh, somebody waiting in the wing to top what you did coming from that same neighborhood area and same school. And I used to tell people all the time when I was at Washington High School, there's this uh, young kid at School <laughs> 5 that uh, when he comes to Washington High School, Washington will probably win at least two state titles well they won one state title and that young man that came out of school five also came to washington high school young man by the name of george mcginnis the bull (laughs) (laughs) and school five sent another individual who was also the starting guard on that team louis day and uh louis day and george mcginnis and larry highball and larry went to school 63 are still considered to this day to have been the best all-around athlete at Washington High School. And when I look at basketball legacy, especially with our grade school, school five from about 1957 to 1969 always had at least one or two players that started on the basketball team at Washington High School. Wow. Uh And that's... Let's talk about the uh, you know, when when both you and Billy you're beginning your senior year. Did you guys was there any chat? Was there any conversation at all uh, about the Indiana All Star process? What was it like for you to get that call and you're going to be an, an Indiana All Star? And did you? And I know this that I'm 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 not trying I'm not trying to be rude, but did you did you think that you were in the running for Mr. Basketball? Well, you know, to be honest, at the beginning of the season, throughout the season. Uh, being an Indian All-Star never really crossed my mind. 
And uh, I think when we got to the state tournament, I had heard whispers that I was a possible candidate for Mr. Basketball as well as Billy. And uh, But again, with this never having crossed my mind, uh, I think when I got the letter after the season ended indicating that I had been uh, voted to the Indiana All-Star Basketball team, that to me was one of the greatest honors I had had up to, up to that moment, and I just thought, wow, this is this is really neat that I've that I've achieved the uh, the pinnacle for Indiana high school players. You win the state championship, and then you get to play, get selected for the Indiana All-Star game. So uh, I didn't feel slighted. I just felt honored that I was uh, selected as the third best player in the state. <clears throat> behind Billy and uh, Dave Moser, who was uh, guard at Fort Wayne North. Man, it's it's you know, and it, it's what a great friendship you and Billy must have. Oh, it, I mean, I go to war with him any day of the week. And again, you know, it's interesting people that come from different backgrounds, especially black and white. Uh, color always comes up in the conversation uh, when he and I talk. It's not about colors, just about life, and you know we're we're just talking. And it's always refreshing where you have a conversation and color doesn't come up in the conversation. Like you asked me, well, do you know that uh, black guy? Or do you know that white guy? Well, kind of like if I don't know his, if I don't know him, his persuasion is not going to help me know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him. Well, he's this. Well, I still don't know. <laughs> so, so once you once you guys get to once you get to Purdue, are you are do you feel like you made the right choice? Um, I mean, and, and tell us a little about your career while at Purdue. Well, I uh, when I got there, I felt I had made the right choice. Uh, I really enjoyed the freshman year. Was really great. Uh, with Billy, we had other uh, scholarship players on team. The, the late great Herm Gilliam, who was number one draft pick, Cincinnati Royals. Uh, Ted Reesner, who was from Elkhart. Uh, 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 can't think of his last name, but we had a kid from uh, Michigan who was six uh, six. Oh, Gary Bancroft, uh, who died from an unfortunate accident on trampoline, and he was an accomplished gymnast, but. He landed on the trampoline, broke his neck, and died at the end of our uh, toward the end of our freshman year. And Rick Snyder, who was Mr. Basketball from Lima, Ohio, he was uh, the other guard, also on scholarship. And Rick, at the end of our freshman year, uh, was in a motorcycle accident, left him uh, with an impaired leg where he can never play basketball again. But our freshman year, Purdue, uh, I was the leading rebounder, third leading scorer behind uh, Billy and Herm Gilliam. And we would just kill the intramural teams that we play, and we were so dominant that uh, the fans would boo us because we were beating the uh, intramural team so bad. And then the one game we lost by two points, they were cheering for us to win, so we couldn't quite figure that out. <laughs> so first freshman year was really good. Then my sophomore year was a year I don't want to remember. That was a bad year, personally, with uh, Coach George King and I butted his, and I was uh, on the verge of transferring, and I'll never forget, uh, at, at the end of my sophomore year, I was just so disgusted and 
with lack of playing time and the, the misunderstanding that happened at the very beginning of the season. And uh, somewhere or another in July or August, I had a conversation with the sports writer here, and I said, I'm thinking about transferring to Butler. Well, that makes the paper. So I go to, so I go back to campus for my junior year, and uh, George King calls me in office and said, well, I thought you were transferring because <laughs> he had read the article in the paper. And I said, no, I said I'd come back. So he gave me stipulations in which, you know, any missteps, I wouldn't be on the team anymore. I could keep scholarship. And uh, so gradually his trust, he and I began to see eye to eye on things and he began to play me more. And my senior year, I got to play more. And uh, But throughout throughout all this, the uh, camaraderie on the teams was just really great. And uh, there were a lot of lasting friendships. You know, we just had our 50-year anniversary of Mackey back in December and I was able to personally call uh, eight of my teammates. I was helping the uh, athletic department coordinate getting the guys back. We, had, we got almost all the players back, and uh, we had a great time. But I think, again, lifelong friendships from playing sports. It's like uh, when we got back together in December, it was like uh, we'd never been apart after all these years. And for many of the players, we still keep in contact with each other which I think speaks uh, volumes about the uh, friendships that we had because, again, this was still in the turbulent 60s when there was this major racial divide in the country. But uh, our basketball team was very uh, solid with our friendships and relationships. And this was on a campus uh, by the time my senior year rolled around. There were probably about uh, out of 27,000 students there probably were 300 African-American students. And I'll never forget my freshman year, there, out of 25,000 student body at Purdue, there was uh, less than 70 African-American students on campus. Uh, uh, in terms of anything negative from a racial standpoint, as an athlete, for whatever reason, we get shielded from stuff that non-athletes don't get shielded from. So I didn't, so my experience was good. I wish I had been more in tune to what some of my uh, non-athlete classmates were dealing with because I think I could have been able to have helped with some of those situations. There was only two incidents for me that involved uh, the uh, N-word. One was uh, walking back as freshman from movie theater in Lafayette. <clears throat> Buses stopped running after a certain time, so we were walking back to campus and of course these guys had to be in the car because they would not have approached us had they been walking on the sidewalk with us but in the car they yelled out the n-word and but they were riding along and speeding in the car so we can catch up with them and the other time my uh, girlfriend at the time who was uh, very fair complected had red hair and freckles were walking on campus at night <clears throat> and again guys are in the car and they yell out in lover so she and I are looking around to see who they're talking about because again she's African American but she's very fair with freckles and red hair and they're thinking she's white so yeah so they're yelling out in lover and we're looking around to see who they're talking about so we both got a laugh out of that thinking they're kind of ignorant not knowing what they were seeing so those were two incidents that at Purdue directly impacted me but then my senior year uh, uh, there was student unrest with uh, fellow African-American students on campus. So we uh, 
took over Hubby Hall administration building at Purdue for two days and we were joined by other white students. So we had a list of demands. Those demands were met by Fred, uh, President Hubby administration. So that uh, kind of settled that issue. So, yeah, but uh, basketball at Purdue was really good. We went to the final four. We uh, were defeated by UCLA in the championship game. And when we opened up Mackey my uh, junior year, uh, that that was a great experience because we've been playing in the old Purdue Fieldhouse. But when we opened up Mackey, that was great. And Purdue had been a football school up until this time. And by the time our senior year rolled around, uh, the crowds were fantastic. Uh, probably 98% of our games were sellouts. Uh, and unknownst to me, one of my uh, classmates, Sam Jones, who was we both came to Purdue as freshmen, by the time my junior year rolled around, he had started the Ralph Taylor Fan Club, where he was president, and they had a vice president and all that. <laughs> and uh, by the time my senior year rolled around, uh, he indicated there were at least 1,100 Ralph Taylor Fan Club members, that, uh, and that always moved me because, again, uh, considering the demographics of Purdue and my being welcomed and accepted like that, just that was just really... Uh, overwhelming experience okay I have a question for you did Rick Mount ever pass you the ball uh, yeah once <laughs> once. <laughs> once or twice you know uh, we, we, we had designated roles at Purdue uh, involving Rick it's kind of like a labor union uh, there were those who were to set picks so my role in the union was to set picks for Rick <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question, Bill. <laughs> and, and I was I was off in my expected answer because I thought it would have been none, but you said once. That, that's a hundred percent more than right. I thought. Yeah, once, maybe twice. But uh, you know, you're talking about Rick. He was uh, one of the best years I ever saw, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget my uh, senior year. Uh, in high school, we played a doubleheader at Hinkle Field, at Butler Fieldhouse, and Lebanon played in the first game. And it was funny because we were watching Rick. So <clears throat> the next day of practice, all of us, a lot of us were practicing his fadeaway one-legged jump shot from 25 feet, but none of us were hitting with the success rate that he was, that he had had the previous night. So, yeah, Rick, Rick was a really an outstanding shooter and. Uh, for him during that particular time, it was a it was a three M guys: uh, Pete Maravich, Calvin Murphy, Rick Mount, and you pick who you wanted who you would take in the NBA draft. And uh, Pistol Pete was a showman. Calvin Murphy was a five nine guy who could uh, twirl the baton. He was a drum major at his high school, and of course you had Rick. So those three guys all averaged over thirty points a game. All fantastic shooters and players. <coughs> And do you think what what would it have taken, or what would it have been different for you guys to actually win that 1969 uh, NCAA championship, or was it just just UCLA had too many horses? I think uh, UCLA had a lot of horses. They had uh, Kareem, well, they had Luel Sender at the time, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They had uh, two sophomore forwards who both became. Uh, first-round NBA draft picks, uh, Curtis Rowe and Sidney Wicks. And for us, we were missing our seven-footer, Chuck Bavis, who was seven-foot about 240. 
And he had done a good job of neutralizing Alcindor when we played them uh, at UCLA at the beginning of the season. But he was out with a shoulder injury. He had suffered in the Marquette game. Uh, Herm Gillian wasn't at full speed. And uh, Rick Mount was being guarded by Kenny Heights and just really had the worst shooting day of his life uh, as a Purdue Boilermaker. And I think if those three things turned around, we may not have gotten the 20-point defeat we suffered. may have not been by as many points. Or possibly we could have won the game. You just never know. But UCLA definitely was a more talented team that day. And so, you know, once you graduate college, what's your uh, – at Purdue, What I mean, what path did you take – and um, uh, did you ever want to get into coaching? Well, uh, I wasn't quite sure what path I was going to take at Purdue. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we talked about joining the Peace Corps and going to work on uh, Native American reservations. Well, since we broke up before our graduation from Purdue, uh, I didn't make it to the Peace Corps. So I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I spent uh, about two months going on job interviews and can, can get a job because at that time Vietnam conflict is going on and a lot of companies didn't want to hire you if you did not know your draft status. So I finally went down, took the physical, flunked the physical. And then uh, one day out of the blue, my high school principal called and left a message with my mother wanting to know had I found a job yet. And she said, no, he hadn't. And he uh, got back to me and told me about two openings in the Indianapolis public schools and I went fill out an application and <clears throat> went on an interview and wound up teaching in IPS first year I taught at Shaw Ridge and, and uh, George Theophanis who was the coach at uh, Shaw Ridge head basketball coach at Shaw Ridge said well you know with your basketball skills and talent uh, would you like to coach our uh, C team well the C team were the guys who couldn't make the junior varsity team so I had guys that would have been number 14 through 25 on the JV team so we got to play I think three games against other schools that had similar situations with players and then after my first year at Shortridge I get a call from my high school principal again the late Claude Julian he wanted to know that I want to come home and I said what do you mean he said well I'd like for you to come and be the uh, head freshman coach and teach here at Washington so I went back to Mama Mater for two years. I coached the freshman basketball team and was assistant varsity coach for two years. And I got to have a reunion with my uh, freshman coach when I played at Washington, Russ McConnell, who drove our uh, team buses for the freshman team. And then my uh, classmate, my junior senior, Eddie Bopp, who was the uh, junior varsity coach. So that was my coaching experience. I loved it, uh, especially when we were winning. Didn't like it when we lost. And uh, after teaching, then I started working with the uh, Purdue University Cooperative Extension Service. I was a county agent in Indianapolis. And then after that, I became a uh, recreation administrator for Indy Parks for several years. Then I left that, and I became a uh, uh, director of uh, community operations for the Indiana Youth Institute, which was a think tank for adults who work with youth either in the school setting or non-school setting. Then after that, I uh, went to the Central Indiana Community Foundation, where I was a program grant officer for almost 10 years. Then after that, went to the Mayor's Office of International Cultural Affairs and continued my work with uh, 
newcomer communities, another word for immigrants or refugees. And then after that, went to spearhead a new initiative called Welcoming Indianapolis, which uh, our goal was to bridge the gap between newcomer communities and longtime residents. And now I presently do consulting and do uh, radio for Purdue Sports Properties as radio color analyst for Purdue men's basketball games. And how did that come about, by the way? Well, I was uh, sitting at home, and my uh, former classmate from Purdue, the late Roger Blaylock, was associate athletic director, and he informed me that uh, the current radio color analyst uh, was relocating to uh, somewhere in the South, and what I had I ever thought about broadcasting on radio basketball games? I said, well, you know, everybody sits home and they broadcast and give their critical opinion and what somebody should have done. So yeah, I'd be interested. So uh, you know, that pro- went through the process and get a call that I've been selected, and so it was an interesting beginning because I'm thinking, well, I'm sure there'll be a dress rehearsal and we'll go through strategy and I'll have somebody in my ear telling me what to say like they do on television. So I meet my colleagues, uh, the great Larry Clisby and Rob Blackman. By the way, Clisby has been inducted into the Indiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So I, I meet them at the uh, Purdue Men's Tip-Off Banquet. So we're chatting. I'm saying, well, when is our uh, first practice where we rehearse how we do this? Because we're talking three people trying to talk. And Cleus tells me, well, this happened in two days. I said, well, that's our first uh, basketball game. He said, yeah, no, that's when you first practiced. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. So I'm thinking he's joking, but he wasn't. So we, so I get there, and I put on my headset, and the sound engineer is saying, uh, all right, you need to do a test one, two, three. I go test one, two, three, and he looks at me. He said, well, try it again. I said, test one, two, three. So he looks at me and says, you don't have your headset on right. <laughs> so I didn't have the, the speaker up to my mouth, so he wasn't hearing me. So that was my introduction to broadcasting. <laughs> well, uh, Ralph, what was it like, and do you remember where you were when you got the phone call that you were going to be inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Yes, I was uh, working with the uh, Central Indiana Community Foundation, and I got this letter at home and opened it up thinking, oh, it's probably, I didn't know what to do. I just thought maybe they're trying to solicit an ad because it was in December. That's when people started sending out letters trying to get money. And and prior to getting the letter, I, you know, kind of thought, you know, it would have been nice to get inducted. But I, after so many years had elapsed, I didn't think it was going to happen. So I got the letter and I read it and I was just so overwhelmed with joy and just, really uh, appreciated the honor that had been bestowed upon me and I thought you know the uh, sometimes in life you think awards are no longer going to come your way because you've gotten a few and I thought wow this is another blessing I'm so honored that you know I'm going to be able to uh, walk into the Indiana Basketball of Fame and be in the same uh, hall with so many of my heroes so it was really a great feeling and I'll never forget uh, my uh, the foundation <clears throat> heard what was going to happen so I uh, went on a uh, I think I had a training not a training but I had a meeting uh, outside of Indianapolis 
So I come back the next day and all three floors of the English Foundation building have my Purdue basketball pitcher on all three floors. And I thought, wow, this is great support from the company I work with. And uh, that night of the induction, uh, I think like there were 50 of my coworkers who came to that induction without telling me they were coming. And I had a lot of family members. And I can remember uh, Coach Gene Cady, uh, he was there, and you know when they uh, introduce each inductee, you know you have their each inductee has his own little posse or entourage. <laughs> and, I think, and I think I probably had close to a hundred people there, and Gene Cater looked around in total bewilderment. <laughs> but that that was that was such a great evening, and uh, had cousins come back from uh, uh, San Diego, California, and also from New Jersey area, plus those here in Indianapolis. Just a great night and just really is kind of like the final cap on my uh, basketball history in Indiana. Uh, how much has the game changed? Yeah, and, and first talk about high school. You know, I, I think it is what it is in high school. I don't think it ever is going to go back to what it was. But how has the college game changed, especially since, you, you know, you do you do the radio and you kind of uh, see what's going on at a, uh, in a first-person perspective? Well, the college game, I think, so many changes. You have the uh, the constant stoppage of play for the review of either how much time is left on the shot clock. Of course, we didn't have the shot clock. Then we didn't have the TV reviews, see what happened. Uh, there are now three referees. We had two referees uh, from a, uh equipment standpoint. We wore a hot pants, so to speak. Now the, you know, the trunks are down to the knees. Uh, players uh, wear different color shoes. We had just the one color, either the, the white shoes for the for home games, black shoes for the road games. Uh, you have six, eight guys shooting, you know, out beyond the free throw line. That didn't happen in our day. Guys, the big guys are more versatile. They have the freedom where coaches don't just pigeonhole them if you're six eight you're supposed to have your back to the basket uh then the game is uh you know the skills are better you see guys just being able to have such great uh handles with the ball and uh, one of the guys on Purdue team Carson Edwards kind of epitomizes some of the ball handling you see with uh, a lot of players today uh you see uh the but one of the things you see is the inability for guys to feed the post they either have the wrong angles or they'll just telegraph the pass without ball fakes or anything like that. Uh, the guys are quicker. They jump a little higher. But fundamentally, in some in some areas, they aren't as fundamentally sound in some cases. And that's evidence. A lot of times you'll see uh, big guys uh, are switched onto by a smaller guy. In other words, six eight guy, he rolls to the basket, and then the switch <clears> – <throat> He's now being guarded by someone five, eleven, or six foot. Well, instead of just waiting and getting good position, filling the guy off to get the ball, you see the big guy either hooking the smaller guy to get around him when all he has to do is just turn around and shoot, or you'll see the uh, big guy, six eight, six ten, out on the floor, twenty feet away from the basket, trying to beat the six foot guy off the dribble when all he has to do is go and post up underneath, take him down there with him, and score on him. Uh, they so see that another thing you see you see so many guys in suits sitting on the bench you got you know maybe three or four or five assistant coaches several trainers team doctors back in the olden days there were maybe 
three coaches, uh, one doctor. Uh, I think you also have the uh, influx of uh, international players, which I think has helped the game. You see the international players coming, and that's something we didn't have. I think, yeah, the only international player we had, I can remember, was uh, my freshman year. We had a guy by the name of John King who was from uh, – Boston, Massachusetts, but I couldn't understand him because he had that New England accent. <laughs> so that was the other <laughs> I mean, he sounded like John F. Kennedy, the late President John F. Kennedy, because I couldn't understand him. But, but uh, no, the yeah, the game has improved. <clears throat> I think you got you get more television, uh, but you also have I think too many games that start too late at night. When you have nine o'clock games starting on Saturday night or uh, during week during weekdays I think that that's a major change and I think TV you definitely have more exposure on TV and the other thing you have the uh, AAU circuit where the high school coaches no longer are the main authority figure with basketball it's really the AAU coach and a lot of the AAU coaches have much more influence than what they should have uh, so you see that and uh, but I think you know, the game continues to uh, draw fans, which I think is an important thing. I think with Indiana, the uh, class basketball in a lot of ways killed enthusiasm in some communities. And, you know, people always talk about, well, with class basketball, it gives the low schools an opportunity to win. Well, when they're single class basketball, if you look at the history of Indiana high school basketball state championship teams, many of those championships were won by teams from small communities. And I always tell people, class made a difference in, in who won a state championship then uh, Indianapolis Tech High School should have won six championships at least because for several years they had more than 3,500 students on campus and some years they had more than 4,000 students on the campus but they never won a state championship so but I think the, uh, the game is still going and uh, I think it'll be something We'll have for a long time enthusiasm, though, with in a lot of metropolitan areas, not what it used to be. But again, kids have so many more options uh, to spend their time on the weekends than go to a high school basketball game. But some communities, basketball is still the only sport in town. Okay, here comes. I ran. I ran you long for about ten minutes, and we we appreciate your time. But here comes the here comes the kicker question: Is this the year for Purdue basketball? Gee, Billy, uh, what, are you trying to get me to jinx my team? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll just say that, uh, without a doubt, the way we're playing right now, uh, we have a great opportunity to make it to the Final Four. I think uh, we have all the pieces. Uh, we have the size. Uh, we have four seniors that start. They know each other. Uh there are no uh, egos on the team. They play well together. So I think uh, this could be the year for the Final Four. And uh, if I have my wish, uh, uh, I see us winning the uh, national championship. Absolutely spectacular. Ralph Taylor, thank you so much for your time. I know we ran about 15 minutes long. I pre- appreciate your hey, patience. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm not doing anything today important, so this was great. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy this. Thank you so much. Okay, my pleasure, Billy.